Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Remember Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't stand up and pray to yourself. They stand up and pray to themselves to be seen by men. This is something that us pastors have to check. We, from time to time, need to make sure. Am I praying because I'm really praying for these people? Because I'm really calling out to God? Because I really want God to meet here? Or am I praying to sound flowery? The Bible says there are things we do not have because we have not asked for them in faith. Today on Practical Christian Living, we are talking about faith and prayer. We're looking at the motivation behind our prayer and what God's Word says about the power and purpose of prayer. Humble, genuine prayer aligned with God's will. Stay with us for more out of Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. Here's Robert Furrow. In Psalms 22, where you have the prophecy of, by David of the Messiah being crucified, is all foretold in Psalms 22 before it happened to Jesus on the cross. And he asks, why have you forsaken me? And, and he gets the answer. And the answer, first of all, and you can, you can read this, this is the outline of, of Psalms 22. The answer, first of all, is for the people of Israel. You've answered me, it's for the, it's for the nation of Israel. And then he says also, it goes on a little bit, then it says, for the Gentiles. It wasn't just for the people of Israel, but for a Gentile. And then at the very end of that psalm, it says, and for a people who have not been born yet. Not only for Gentiles, but for Gentiles of all generations. Why had God forsaken him on the cross? Because he became sin who knew no sin, so you and I could become the righteousness of God, right? And, and Jesus died so that the Gentiles could be saved. No wonder Jesus marvels when he sees a Gentile with faith. He's, he's just seeing the beginning of it. He, ha he doesn't see faith in Israel, but he sees faith in these Gentiles and he knows what's going to happen. Jew Jewish people get saved today and there's a revival taking place among Jewish people as well. But far more Gentiles receive the Lord, e even, you know, uh, per capita. Because there's still a revival happening. God is still moving. And so he marveled when he sees this man and said to those following, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith not in Israel. And great faith would come to the Gentiles. Now, what does this tell us? It tells us that who you are doesn't matter. Uh, Paul said, there is no Jew, there is no Greek. There is no male, there is no female. We could take that farther. There is no rich, there is no poor, there is no old, there is no young. Whatever differences we might have, whatever we might be able to categorize ourselves in, God doesn't see those things. God sees men, women, and children, and he sees their faith and he honors them. This man had faith, and even though he was a Gentile, he was honored, and it opened up the door that God's going to be moving in that way, and that if you have faith where you are, that you will be honored as well. Now, I'd like to talk a little bit about prayer, because we see this man, in fact, I'd like to talk about seven things that we see as we see him coming to Jesus and pleading, because this is what prayer is. Prayer is when we approach him, uh, and he responds, and we see that this man received what he asked for, so there's some things here for us. Is, um, 
Is prayer effective? Does God answer when we pray? I, I heard someone say one time that prayer doesn't change things, but prayer changes people. I couldn't agree or disagree with a statement anymore. Prayer doesn't change things. I disagree with that. We're going to talk about how prayer changes things here in just a minute. But prayer changes people. When we get into our prayer closet, when we seek God, God begins to work on our heart. When we're praying as Jesus taught us, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and our will is being melted together with the will of God and we're surrendering to that will, there's something happening inside of us. So I understand what he might have been saying. I just think he chose the wrong phrase to say it. Things don't change when you pray. Of course they change. In fact, the Bible says, Jesus himself said, seek, knock, ask, seek, and knock, and the door will be open to you. You will find and you will receive. And it's in the continual. Continue asking, continue seeking, continue knocking. That we would in prayer say, I am not going to give up. I encourage you now to ask, seek, and knock to make sure that you are, as the old Pentecostals would say, prayed up. Are you prayed up? Make sure you're praying. Make sure you're calling out upon God for this time because I don't know that we've seen the worst of it yet and I think that we need to be praying, praying for our nation, praying for God to intervene. When we pray, God said He will answer. You ask, you seek, you knock, and you will receive. He's promised us that. In James 6, 16, he says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. We are promised that if we will pray effectively and fervently, that we will accomplish much. Jesus said in John 15, 14, if you ask anything according to my will, then I will hear you. And if I hear you, I will do what you have requested. That is, that if we align ourselves with the will of God, prayer is not the means by which we get from God what we want. Prayer is the means by which we get from God what He wants. Faith is not the means by which you get from God what you want. Faith is the means by which we get from God what, what God wants for us. And here's what I think. I think ultimately, you want what God wants. You might want something that God doesn't want, but in reality, you really want what God wants for you. And so really getting a hold of it by faith and discovering the things that God has for you. So a few things to consider about prayer. First of all, you have to have things right between you and God. The effective, a fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. We interchange the word righteousness and purity and holiness as if they are the same, they mean the same thing. I'm holy, I'm righteous, I'm pure. But they mean three different things. To be pure means that our sin has been taken away by the, by the blood of the Lamb. We can walk in purity. Once we are pure, we can walk in purity when we fight off sin that we have been enslaved to and now we walk in purity before Him. But it's the absence of sin in your life. Holiness is to be set apart. God takes you as a believer and He sets you apart and you are now different and you are holy. God is holy because there is no one like Him and He is completely set apart and you are holy because you've been set apart. Righteousness is when you have things right between you and God and between you and the people around you. When you are a righteous dude, that means you've got things right between you and God and you and people. 
And if you don't have things right between you and God and you and people, then it can hinder your prayers. And we learn that in 1 Peter 3, 7, where the Bible tells us that we, are, that we men are to treat our wives as a valuable vessel and not to mistreat them. And then it says, because if not, your prayers will be hindered. If you are mistreating your wife, then God's not hearing your prayers. Your pr or they're, they're hindered anyway. I don't know, maybe you'll hear some of them, but just strictly what it says is that they're hindered. So if you don't have a right relationship with the people around you, your prayers can be hindered. But the fervent, effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. How do you make yourself righteous? You can do it right now. If you say, well, I don't know if I'm, I'm righteous, you simply ask God to forgive you of your sins. If there's anything between me and you, God, then, then make it right. And help me, I make a commitment now to make sure that things are right between me and the people around me. If you're just being a jerk to people, stop it. If you're being a jerk when you're driving, stop it. Something said partially to me. By the way, bouncing back off you and coming back at me, right? If you're, just, if you're just mistreating people, then it's time for you to repent from that. Actually turn from that way. If you're mistreating your husband, if you're mistreating your wife, then it's time for you to, re, to, to turn from those things because these things hinder our prayers. And I think that we learn that this man is a noble man, that he loves Israel, that he built a synagogue for them, tells us that this was a man who considered, who wanted to make sure that things were right. The second is that the effective prayer uh, is, is it worth praying pray an effective prayer? The, the fervent, effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. How do we pray effectively? Well, the Bible says, first of all, you don't have because you don't ask. You got to ask. When the Bible says that Jesus could not do many miracles in Nazareth, it was because they didn't ask him. It wasn't that they didn't, they brought people to him and that Jesus tried to speak uh, a healing to them and they weren't healed. It was that they didn't come to him. They had the Messiah in their midst showing the signs of his Messiahship by healing people and they did not go and ask. And there are things that you don't have because you haven't asked. You just haven't asked him. If you have faith, then you'll ask him. And so this man hears that Jesus is back in Capernaum and he goes to him and he pleads with him. He asks him. Now the Bible also says you don't have because you ask amiss wanting to spend them on your own pleasures. So again, this helps us to understand that prayer is not a way for me to deposit in the giant vending machine in the sky to get back whatever I want. But prayer is a way for me to be able to get what I need from God, for God to intervene in my life, to get a hold of the promises that He has for me as I call out to Him. Next, don't pray to be seen by people. Remember Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't stand up and pray to yourself. They stand up and pray to themselves to be seen by men. This is something that us pastors have to check. We, from time to time, need to make sure, am I praying because I'm really praying for these people because I'm really calling out to God because I really want God to meet here? Or am I praying to sound flowery, to sound like I'm spiritual, to sound like I know what I'm doing? Every once in a while, and I can say it hasn't happened for a while, but every once in a while, I'll come up and I'll pray. And I'll be thinking while I'm praying, this is a really good prayer. And I realize when I say that to myself that I'm praying to myself. It's like I'm not here to pray a good prayer. I'm here to call out upon God for God to move while we gather together to challenge our heart, to stir us up and to encourage us. Jesus said, when you pray, 
Go in your prayer closet and pray, and the God who sees you in secret will reward you openly. Make sure that you're not praying in such a way to be seen by people, but that you go into your prayer closet between you and God. And then it takes all that out of the way. Then it can, cannot be, well, I'm acting spiritual now or I'm praying in a spiritual way. When people come to me and say, I don't know how to pray, how do I pray? It's because they've heard too many of us Christians and us pastors are guilty of it. Sound really, sound like we're, oh Lord, would you please move today? We got a, a sound to it. And people go, how do you pray? And I always say, it's just talking to God. Like you're talking to me. You're just talking to God. It's, it's, it's easy to pray. We're given access by the blood of the lamb into the throne room of God. And all we need to do is begin to ask. So don't pray to be seen by people. Also, don't use repetitive words for the sake of repetitive words. Jesus said, don't think that you'll be heard by your many words. The danger of repetitive words is that I just begin to say them. It's the danger that I had when I was a kid when I prayed the now I lay me down. Now I lay me down to sleep prayer. My mom had me pray every night. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And I said it probably faster than that when I was a kid. I just went through it. Which when you look at that prayer, and I've talked about this before, but when you look at that prayer, it's pretty frightening. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. <laughs> What's happening, Mom? What's going to happen to me when I go to bed tonight? I'm going to die before I wake. Of course, the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, is something that people repeat over and over again, believing that there's some kind of power connected to us, to it. You know it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever. It's not just to be prayed because you know it and you pray it over and over again and you pray it 10 times and then God answers your prayer or that God says, okay, I'm, I'm okay with you now. You've done your penance, which is crazy that you have to say our fathers as a penance. Well, you know, what you got to do in order to get forgiven is go say, you know, 20 our fathers. It's not for that. It's for us to use as a model our Father. He's our Father who's in heaven. So you're praying to your Father in heaven. He's in heaven. We're here on earth. Holy be your name. You are separate. You are different than anyone. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I'm going to be praying for your will during these, this prayer. And so that if we have trouble, if we say, if, if I don't know what to pray for, that hasn't been a problem lately, by the way. But if I don't know what to pray for, I will sit down and just begin to go through the Lord's Prayer. I'll use it as a stencil for prayer. Our Father, and I'll, I'll, I'll just talk to him as my dad. You're my Father, you're in heaven, you love me, you care for me. Uh, you're in heaven, I'm here. Holy be your name, you're worthy, you are set apart, you are totally different, you are unique, you are powerful. All of the attributes of God, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I surrender to your will. There are a lot of things that I want, but I want your kingdom here and I want your will to be done. And you just go through the rest of the prayer and you use it as Jesus taught us to. We can't ignore, effective prayer is gonna be what Jesus said. When he said, when you pray, pray in this manner. Don't use repetitive words. And finally, be fervent in your prayers. James 6, 16 again. The fervent, effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. When this centurion came to Jesus, it says he was pleading with him. The word in the Greek is a, a word for begging. A, a, a continual begging. Please, please. He had sent some people to him and they pleaded and they begged with him. And this man was fervent. He had things right. He was effective 
because he went to Jesus and he asked him. And it says then in verse 11, well, yeah, let me read on here. We'll talk about 11, 12 in a minute, but let's, um, let's just go on to 13. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed on that very same hour. And so he went to Jesus and he asked him, and, he, and by all means, he did what the Bible says that we are supposed to do by faith. I had asked a question at the very beginning of the section that I began to talk about prayer. Does prayer change destinies? I believe it does. And there's this great story in the Old Testament. It's one of my favorite where King Hezekiah is sick and Isaiah is sent by God to tell him that he's going to die from the disease. And after he tells him that he's going to die, he turns around and walks out and he's still in the king's courtyard and Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and begins to cry. I, I take it, cry out to God. And God stops Isaiah in the courtyard and sends him back in and tells him, tell him I'm going to give him more years. And I've shared before that I don't know what to do with that theologically. How do you take God telling him you're going to die from this? That's the word of God. And then God changing that. And now, because God's word never changes, right? So and then going back in and saying, okay, I've granted you more years because you pray. That causes me problems theologically. But I'm okay with that. I, I'm okay not having everything tied up in a neat little bow. I, I talk to pastors who have everything all tied up. They literally know it all. They just, just ask me anything. I got to answer. I don't have any, I don't have any problems. I have some problems. I have tensions that I find in the scriptures. I have things that I haven't quite figured out yet. This is one of them. But all I know is that man prayed and his destiny changed. And I believe that when we pray, destinies change. I believe we can pray for our family, our, pray for our kids, pray for those who are struggling, pray for ourselves and call out to God and that we will see God move and do incredibly powerful things. I had to be careful there. That little move was to avoid the pulpit. I was going to knock myself out. If you wonder what that was, I'm not quite sure what it was. All right, so in verse 11, Jesus said, um, we'll come back and get the whole th uh, thought process here. Um, so in verse, in verse 10, he says, when Jesus heard it, he marveled, and he said to those who followed him, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Then in verse 11, he says, and I say to you that many will come from the east and from the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus uses this centurion, this Gentile, to teach them that the door is opening up for all Gentiles to be able to come and that the day is coming when it does not matter who your descendants were. He says, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. The many people who were descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They will know what they missed out on. They will understand it and they will be weeping and gnashing their teeth during that time. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that very same hour. He believed enough to go to Jesus. You know, there's another place where the Bible says, and Jesus marveled. And it's the exact opposite of this. When Jesus was at his hometown of Nazareth, and I referenced it earlier in the study, it says he couldn't do many great miracles there because they didn't believe. And the Bible says that Jesus marveled at their unbelief. Jesus marvels at belief and faith in a man that you don't expect it in. I think he marvels when we have faith and trust him. 
but he also marvels when people don't believe. When they can see all of the things that God has done and they say, I can't believe it. Maybe you're too familiar with it. I think there's a danger in growing up in church. There's a danger in growing up, in, and I did. I grew up in, I, I went to Sunday school my whole life. I was baptized into the Methodist church, and I went to, to church and Sunday school my whole childhood. It's rarely a time in my life that I didn't go, maybe a year or so. But I think there's a danger that we can become inoculated to the things of God. And we forget how amazing it is to trust Him in all that He says and all that He does. And that if we need anything today, if there's a need in our life, that we would go to Jesus, that we would go pleading with Him, that we would go in faith, and that we would see God meet our needs and answer our prayers as well. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for the opportunities that we have to be able to call out upon your name, to see here written in the pages of Scripture what it means to approach you. And Lord, we know as we stand back and we look at this, this account from afar that this is about you opening up the doors to the Gentiles, letting us know that the Gentiles are going to be coming in, in by, by droves. And here we are. And we pray that you would do a great work and call many more Gentiles in. But Lord, also we see this man by faith approaching Jesus. And we think about our own prayer life. We pray, Lord, that we would be faithful to call out upon your name and that all the things that we need to do, being right with you and people around us, seeking you at a time when no one's around to see, that in all of these things, praying as you taught us, that we would do them and our prayer lives would be effective. And if there is anything that's hindering our prayer lives now, I pray you'd reveal that to us because we need you to intervene. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed for just a few moments. I'd also like to ask that no one would leave early. We're almost done. We'll dismiss you here momentarily. But I want to give you an opportunity if you're here today and you have never invited Jesus into your life, or if you're listening online or watching online or listening on Reach Radio and you've never surrendered yourself to Him, you have to be deliberate about your salvation. The Bible says, call out on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. When you call out to Him, when you say, I want you in my life, there were different points of faith that people had when they surrendered themselves to Him. I have a prayer I'm going to lead you in in a moment. But there's a lot of different ways in which people call out upon the name of the Lord. It's you deciding, I want to live for Him. I want to follow Him. I want to identify with Him. I want to be His. And if you're here today and you want to do that, then I'm going to ask you to do something simple. Right where you are, raise your hand. God bless you. That's great. Anybody else? Lift up your hand now. Lift it up high so I can see it. God bless you. And God bless you. Anyone in the balconies? Just raise your hand. All right. You can put your hands down. And I would like everyone, including those who raised their hands this evening, to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I have sinned. And I know my sin has separated me from you. But I also understand that I can be forgiven by the death of Jesus on the cross. So I invite you into my life and I turn from my sin that I can live for you 
in the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. Amen. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.